0: All right, and if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, we got some analog versions in your seat fronts there. You're more than welcome to grab one, or some of you guys are going to be on your phones using the version app that Chris puts together every week, which has all of the, the message notes along with the scriptures that we're going to be going through. We've got about two chapters that we're going to try to cover today, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time prepping. We're just going to dive right in. Um, we have been working through the book of Acts, and Acts... Uh, talks about the beginning, the birth of the early church, but one of the number one questions that Acts tends to really focus on is this question why, who did Jesus die for? Did he just die for the Jews? Or did he die for everybody? You know, and and Jesus himself answered the question pretty uh, clearly when he said, you know, for God so loved the Jews that he sent his one and only son that anybody of Hebraic descent that keeps all of the laws shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? No. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so the, the unquestioning Message of Acts so far is that Jesus didn't just die for Jews. He died for all of us, which is really good news because the vast majority of us in this room are not of Jewish descent. And so he died for us. And we get that some 2,000 years later, but for the early church, this was a massive tectonic shift for them from a theological standpoint. Because for them, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, God's anointed Redeemer, whom God, they believed, was going to send to redeem Israel. They had a very small mindset. And the Spirit begins to work that out of them as He begins to to kind of push the early believers beyond the walls of their own little uh, group, their own little enclave. And He says, listen, Paul, I'm sorry, listen, Peter, I want you to go to this house of this centurion named Cornelius, and I want you to share the gospel there. And Peter's going, okay, and so he shows up, and as he's sharing the gospel, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on that room, and Roman people who are Gentile, who are not brought up in in Judaism, begin to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit shows up in the same way that he did on Pentecost with the early Jews, and Peter's left going, if the Holy Spirit is being given to them, then who am I to stand between them and baptism? Let them become full-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. And then, you know, the majority, we read last week when, when Lee was teaching through the last couple of chapters, that when that persecution struck the church and they were scattered, kind of like somebody blew the um, what are the daffodils? No, what what are those things called? Huh? dandelions. Thank you. You guys, this is so interactive. I love it. Uh, When when somebody blows the dandelion and it just starts or whatever it is, starts, starts going off into the breeze, right? That's kind of what happened to the early church as persecution scattered them. And as they went, they began to share the gospel. But we read last week that the vast majority of them only shared it with other Jews. That was their mindset that Jesus came and died for Jews. And yet A few people began to share with other Gentiles, and the Gentiles, more so than the Jews, responded in droves. And in fact, in one town, a city called Antioch, which is several hundred miles north of Jerusalem, the the Gentiles began to respond, and the Jews in Jerusalem... Go, you know what? We're hearing of things going on. We want to know for sure. So they chose one of the the guys from their midst, a guy named Barnabas. And they said, would you go up and check out to see what's going on? And so Barnabas goes up there and he goes, my goodness, there's this whole crew of Gentiles with some Jews who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ or want to know, but they're babies in their faith. They don't have a clue what they're doing. So I need some help. And so he ends up going over to this town called Tarsus, not too far, far away. And he gets a guy named Paul. We know him as Saul, Paul. He, he, is, he was at one point the most outspoken opponent of the gospel. He presided over the stoning of the first Christian martyr. And yet God got a hold of Paul's heart and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And ultimately, Paul became the greatest proponent for the gospel. And Barnabas goes and grabs him and goes, I need help. Come with me. And he brings him back to Antioch. And for over a year, Paul and Barnabas are investing in that little church. They're they're discipling those new believers. So that's all backstory. That's just to kind of remind us of where we've been. So now let's go ahead and dive in to Acts chapter 13. So in the church of Antioch, Again, that's this little town that Paul and Barnabas have shown up. There were prophets and there were teachers. These are the leaders of the church. There was Barnabas. There was a guy named Simeon called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manahan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So there was literally a guy who who had been raised in the the, um, palace with Herod, the leader of that whole region, as well as Saul, whom we know as Paul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You've got this little church, this little community of believers there in Antioch. And as they're praying and, 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 and fasting and seeking God's direction, they very clearly feel like God impresses on their hearts, I want you to send Paul and Barnabas to go and do the work that I've set them apart for, ultimately to become missionaries to spread the gospel. That would be tantamount to us during one of our worship nights, praying and, and, and feeling impressed that God was saying that both Lee and I needed to go on a long-term mission trip. Because that's pretty much what, what is going on, right? Paul and Barnabas were the leaders of the church, and all of a sudden God is saying, I need you to send them. Could you imagine how terrifying that might, might have been for that early church to go, oh, wait a minute, we need them. I mean, we're, we're still in our infancy. We we need them for you know some stability here. We can't send them, and yet look at how they respond. After they had fasted and prayed, this is verse 3, After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They were they were more concerned with obeying God than they were with preserving their own comfort and and, and preserving kind of the. Uh, the status quo. And I can't help but think of some of the people that God has led out of our church, people that were integral to it. I think of Egypt, who's back visiting us today, and we're really excited that you're here with us, visiting from Texas. And, and, and I was thinking this morning about Danielle, who eight months ago, Danielle was one of the pillars of this church. I mean, she was running the entire family's ministry, all the way from birth all the way up through high school and loving on families. In a lot of ways, many of the families were here because of their relationship with Danielle. And God began to impress upon her heart that he was calling her out of the nest that she'd grown up in to something else. And she didn't know what. But when she shared that with Lee and I, although I think that we both kind of knew this was coming, that we were feeling the same kind of thing, it was still terrifying because how, how on earth do you replace somebody like Danielle? Danielle? You don't. And yet, I look eight months into the future, where we at are at today. Not only is Danielle flourishing in the role that God has placed her in right now, which has been very good for her own development, But he's also been faithful to us. He's raised up two individuals to help carry the load and even take it further than she could have done by herself. We've got Michelle, who's over our birth through sixth grade. We've got Chris, whom God has brought to us to be able to carry that junior high all the way through young adults. And we are able to do more today than we were eight months ago because Danielle was obedient to that call. And so all that to say, I don't know what God has planned for us, but my hope is that we, like the early church in Antioch, would be willing to hold our lives so loosely that if God says, I want you to go here, we would be obedient, even if we didn't understand what he was calling us to, and we didn't know how he was going to provide. And I pray that we as a church would be loose-handed enough with the, one of the greatest resources we have. I would argue the greatest resource we have as a church, and that is us. My prayer is that we would be loose handed enough that we would recognize that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And sometimes God will call people out of our midst to go somewhere else so that he can do a work in them, but also so that he can create space for other people to step up. And my desire, my prayer is that we would also be responsive to God that some of you who are sitting in seats right now, it's time for you to get out of the stands and onto the field. It's time for you to start carrying some of the ministry weight that God is wanting to do. Not just here at the church. This isn't just a call for us to, you know, serve the church and help lay flooring, which I would love for your help. Because otherwise, Byron and Tony are going to be really busy on Tuesday. But beyond the church. Recognizing that we have been called to be a lighthouse, a beacon in the darkness in Costa Mesa. And that's not going to happen by Lee and myself and Chris and Michelle doing all the work. That only happens when you guys get out of the stands and recognize that you have been called to be a minister in your own right. All right. We good. Let's keep moving because I got to keep going. All right. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. They were obedient to God because they feared God more than they feared changing up the circumstances. So the two of them went on their way with the Holy Spirit. And they went down to Seleucia and then sailed from there to Cyprus. Can we show this? You've got this also in your outline. But you see that big gold dot there over there on the right. That's Antioch. If you were to go south several hundred miles, you'd run into Jerusalem. From Antioch, they sailed over to the island of Cyprus. That's where they began their ministry. And it makes sense. Because Barnabas was from Cyprus. In fact, the first town that they went to, Salmus, was where Barnabas was from. Kind of like how Don and Jill go, 27 years ago we went down to Costa Rica and God burdened our heart for it and now we find that he's calling us back and the people that we're doing life with, we want to invite them to join us. That makes sense. And so Barnabas and Paul, along with a guy named John Mark, who is the cousin of Barnabas, he's also the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. um, He's with them. They went down from Seleucia and then sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, and you can keep this map up there for me. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John Mark was with them as their helper. Now, just so you understand as we move through here, Paul and Barnabas had a a habit, and that was as we go into a new town, we want to share the gospel with everybody. Everybody. This isn't just for gentiles even though we feel burdened to share with gentiles we want to share with everybody so they would always begin by going into the Jewish synagogue which makes sense because you have a tendency to begin with the most low hanging fruit and for them the you know, re- remember how Jill was talking just a few minutes ago about hey it's really it's it's a bit of an intermediate step because we speak many people speak English down there we can use You know, American dollars, and and it's only a couple hours. It's close to our experiences. And in the same way, they would go into the Jewish synagogues because they spoke the same language. Because Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. So they could share that with the Jews. And when the Jews tended to rebuff them, which happened quite often, as we're going to see this morning, then they would go out into the streets and begin to share with Gentiles. So they begin in the Jewish synagogue. Verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, which is over on the left side of Cyprus. This is down at the bottom of that picture there. This was the kind of capital of this little island. They were met by a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. A proconsul is a Roman leader. He was in charge of the, the oversight of this island and you've got this jewish sorcerer who's been interacting with him kind of his hanger on his jafar if you will and he's sitting there in the in the proconsul, being an intelligent man recognized that he didn't know everything recognized that every once in a while he needs to be listening to what other people are saying just so that he can understand the currents of thought that are going on in the province in which he oversees And so he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, this sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith, whispering in his ear, these guys don't have a clue what they're talking about. These guys, you know, whatever he was saying to them, he was trying to sour this man's hearing of what Paul and Barnabas were saying. So then Saul, who was also called Paul, let me explain that for a second. I know I'm diving in a lot of different places, but I often used to think, that Saul's name was changed to Paul when he was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Anybody else kind of carry that belief around? Kind of like how you've got uh, Simon, and, then he's, and Jesus says, who do people say I am? Well, you're, you know, the Messiah. And he goes, truly. And, and you, Peter, he changes his name to Peter, my rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, right? So Jesus changed Peter's name. And I always used to think that Paul's name was changed in the same way, but that is not true. Because, in fact, Paul had two names. His Jewish name was Saul. But in Roman circles, he went by Paul. And that's all that's happening. The further away from Jerusalem that Paul finds himself, the more he is going to be called Paul. When he goes back to Jerusalem, he goes by Saul. Make sense? Okay, moving on. So Saul, who is also known as Paul was filled by the Holy Spirit, and he looked straight at Elemus, and he said, you are a child of the devil. That's always a good thing to hear. Yeah? And an enemy of everything that is right. I feel like saying that to my boys sometimes, although they're so wonderful. i got to tell you, my boys are amazing when they're asleep. <laughs> Kathy and I go into their room and look at them, and I'm just like, oh, they're so angelic, and then they wake up. And there's so much like me. And then my poor wife has to deal with three of us. That is totally not in your notes. You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. But unlike myself, Paul was filled with the spirit when he said that. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery and you will never, never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Or will you ever stop? No. So now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time and you will not even be able to see the light of the sun. And suddenly, this sorcerer's eyes become dimmed. Kind of like what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember when Jesus met him and he was blinded? All of a sudden, he's like paying it forward. You get to have an experience like this. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Notice how, yet again, a miraculous thing happens, and it greases the skids for the gospel message to find purchase in the heart of another non believer. Miracles were not the ends. In and of themselves. A lot of times we look to God to go, fix this, fix that, heal me. I was praying with Jake McCoy last night. He threw his back out at work. So we're in, in the emergency room and I'm praying, God, would you please just heal his back? And sometimes we're just looking for that miracle as the end in and of itself. Instead, he got some painkillers to help get him home. But quite often in the early church, we see time and again a movement of the Holy Spirit, a miracle happening. And it was a means to an end. And the end was that so people would actually pay attention to the gospel message. So that people would be open to listening. And in this case, that happens. So, from Paphos in Cyprus, they went up to Perga. You see that, up, that, that red line that's going up? Pay no attention to the blue line. That's when they're coming back home. So they go from there up into the Lycia region and then from there they're going to move over to the Galatia region for which we get the term Galatians that was written to that whole region there. So they they continue their ministry. Verse 13, Paul and his companions sailed from Perga to Pamphylia and at that point John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. It's just a quick line. It's right there, but quite honestly, it's something that we're going to come back to in a couple of weeks because it becomes a point of contention between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Verse 14. From Perga they went on to Poseidon Antioch. And on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue, as they tended to do, they start there, and they sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. It's kind of like what we do when we have one of our missionaries come in. Right. Last week, we had Pastor Kuko come in. Hey, Kuko, come on up and share. Is there anything that God is doing next week? We're going to have Marty Hooper with us. Marty, come on up and share. Today, we've got Egypt. And if, if, if I can get done quickly, I'm going to have you come up and share a little bit. Just warning uh, of what God is doing. But I, got, I better hurry if I'm going to do that. So they invited Paul and, and Barnabas to stand up and share. And after uh, so they said, Standing up, Paul motioned to his his hand and he said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. So he he addresses the people in the audience. And then he steps into what we have seen quite a few times when speaking to the Jews. He begins to tell the story of Jewish history, from God calling the people in all the ways that he has been faithful, and he leads up to ultimately God's answering of that promise to send the Messiah to redeem them. We're going to skip a few verses just so we can keep going. Skip down to verse 26. He's, as he's wrapping up his sharing, he says, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. He's not pointing to a specific passage. He's pointing to the, the testimony of the entire Old Testament that God was a God who redeemed his people and that God would not give up on them despite the fact that they turned their back on him time and again and made the focus about following rules as opposed to actually following him. They made the focus keeping the law as opposed to being representatives of God, a holy priesthood, a nation set apart so that the world would come to respect and love and follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. So he says, verse 28. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, these Jews in Jerusalem asked Pilate to have him executed. And in so doing, they fulfilled what the whole testimony of Scripture promised, that God would redeem his people. Verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled around with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to our people. There are eyewitnesses who saw Jesus in the flesh walking around. And guess what? Some of those eyewitnesses have died as a martyr's death. And the word witness literally is martero. So it's pretty much combined they have died a martyr's death for their faith because they believe so strongly that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life that he rose from the dead triumphing over the the grave and he is the only way that we can have a relationship with our father in heaven verse 32 so we tell you the good news what God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Let's skip down just a little bit to verse 38. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, I want you to know that, G- that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You don't have to climb some ladder of rules to attain righteousness. You don't have to do lots of good things to make up for all of the mistakes you've made. It is by grace you are saved, by faith, so that none of us can stand up and say, look what I've done. Verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification by the way that you were never able to obtain under the law of Moses. You've been set free. Verse 40, so take care that, the, that what the prophets warned about does not happen to you. And now he quotes from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 5. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. And Paul's saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't be the person that fulfills that prophecy. And as Paul and Barnabas finished up, they wrapped up, and they were leaving, a lot of the, the Jews and Gentiles in that room came up and went, so glad you shared. I want to hear more. Can you guys stick around? And Paul and Barnabas go, sure, we'll stick around. And they're there throughout the week. They begin to, the, the people that were there begin to share with other people. The next week, it's, it's the Sabbath, which on the, for them was a Saturday. It's the Sabbath. And like half an hour before the, the synagogue opens up, the place is packed. Standing room only. The entire city, it seems, has turned out to hear Paul and Barnabas share again. Now, can you imagine what that would be like for the, those poor rabbis who, week after week, are used to their congregation showing up 15 minutes late and, and having empty seats in the front row because everybody's afraid of the spit section? Right? And all of a sudden it's standing room only and it's early and they're naturally. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. So when Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, you know, listen, we only speak the word that God gave to you first. And since you've, uh, I'm sorry, we had to speak the word of God to you first, okay? We came to you guys first. But since you're rejecting it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, that's a passive aggressive attack if I've ever seen one. Since you don't consider yourself worthy of eternal life, that's fine. We'll now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they're in there going, this is awesome. God cares about us too. Right on. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And yet the word of the Lord began to spread throughout that region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men in the city. In other words, they went to the power brokers in in this town. And they said, guys, this is a problem. We've got to look out for one another. And this guy is, is stirring up the, the crowds. He's honestly kind of preaching to a group of people that have felt ostracized. So, of course, they're grabbing a hold of this thing. We need to shut them down. So they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Verse 51. So, as what would, a, a Jewish symbol was when you were rejected by a people, you would shake. Like, wow. Talking about white balance, right? Hey, they, they would shake the dust off of their sandals like I want nothing. I don't even want to take the dust from your region with me. And they did that as a, as a way of kind of declaring to the Jews, fine, you don't want anything to do with this, then you won't have anything to do with you. And they weren't from Antioch down to Iconium, which is in Galatia. Let's keep reading. Verse four, uh, chapter 14. We have one more chapter to go. It's a short one. Verse one. And in conium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. Again, let's begin with the, the low hanging fruit. And they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. However, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. They spoke boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Again, the signs and wonders simply uh, confirmed the power of the gospel. Verse 4, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot amongst both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it, Paul and Barnabas did, and so they fled from there down to the Laotian cities of Lystra and Derbe. That's a little bit further down. This is the end of their journey. They show up in Lystra and the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Even when they meet resistance, they don't give up. They just move forward. In Lystra, there was a man who was lame. Not lame in the sense that we tend to use the word. He was, he was crippled. Had been for some time. From his birth, in fact. And he had never walked. And he was listening to Paul as Paul was speaking. Now, I want to point something out. Lystra is the first city that they come to that did not have a, a strong Jewish community. Paul and Barnabas find themselves for the very first time speaking to a large crowd of Gentiles and he's sharing the gospel message. And what we're going to notice as we continue to work through Acts, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but what we'll notice is that as their audience changes from Jewish to Gentile, the way they share the gospel changes. It's not that the gospel changes, but the way in which they approach it. The way in which they articulate it changes because, as you all know, we speak our audience's language. When I'm speaking to my boys, I speak differently than when I'm speaking to my wife. I better, you know? And when I'm speaking to my, you know, when I'm typing on the internet, you know, interacting with somebody on Facebook, I use totally improper grammar all the time, like totally, you know, incomplete sentences. Whereas when I'm speaking here, I speak differently. We speak our audience's language. And so as they're here, they're speaking specifically to their audience. And Paul saw that this man had faith to be healed, verse 10, and he called him to stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Keep in mind, he had never walked before. He had been crippled from birth. Well, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laotian language, the gods have come down in human form. They believed that Barnabas was Zeus. They believed that Paul because Paul was doing all the speaking was Hermes the messenger of the gods. Now, an important little backstory here. In this region, they were romanized. And they believed in the gods of Rome, Zeus being the, the head of the pantheon, Hermes being the uh, messenger god for Zeus, and there was a myth, a belief, a story that about that region That at one point in their history, Zeus and Hermes had shown up in human form. And they were walking around, looking like normal, regular people, and they would go from house to house knocking, asking for somebody to take them in and be hospitable to them. And door after door was closed to them. Nobody brought them in. Finally, they show up at this old couple's house, and the couple welcomes them in, feeds them a meal, invites them to stay for the night. Zeus and Hermes transformed in front of them and turned that little house into a temple of Zeus. And then they systematically destroyed all the other homes that had rejected them. This was a a story that was well known throughout this region. So when all of a sudden, two strangers show up talking about a god and healing a cripple, they start going, it's Zeus and Hermes. I know it. It's Zeus and Hermes. Quick, pull out all the stops because they did not want to have that same thing happen to them. So. The priest, verse 13, the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them before they became the sacrifices. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this and realized what they're doing and recognized that they were trying to worship them, they tore their clothes, which was a Jewish way of lamenting. Whenever you were confronted with what was considered to be blasphemy, And calling a person a God was blasphemous. They tore their clothes. And they rushed outside to try to put a stop to this. Verse 15, Paul shouted at them, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. And we're bringing the good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way. And yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in the seasons. Notice what he doesn't talk about. He doesn't talk about the history of Israel. He doesn't talk about the choosing of the forefathers or or all the ways he brought them out of captivity because he's talking to Gentiles here. So he talks about rain that God provides for them and the crops that grow. He he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And yet, even as they are trying to stop them, even those words, they still had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then, some Jews that came from Antioch and Iconium, those two cities that they'd previously endured some opposition, people showed up from them and they won these fickle crowds over. And so this crowd that just a moment before was wanting to sacrifice bulls in their honor turns around, picks up stones, and begins to throw stones at Paul. Stones him to the point where they think he's dead. Passed out and bloody and broken on the side of the road. And then they drag him unceremoniously outside of town and leave him to rot. It's funny how fickle crowds can be, isn't it? I mean, it reminds me, Of the week after Pentecost as Jesus is coming. I'm sorry, uh, the the Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into town and all the people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And five days later, you got a crowd of people, probably some of the same people, (coughs) shouting, crucify him. Crowds are fickle. Paul recognized this. Jesus recognized this. That's one of those verses that's really easy to just read over, gloss over, move on, right? They, they stoned him, left him for dead. After the crowds leave, Paul kind of wakes up. There's a group of believers around him. They help him up. They kind of help him back into the city. And we move on with the narrative. And yet, I want you to think for just a moment what that must have been like and how you would have responded if you were in Paul's shoes. Think about this for a moment. You find yourself for a year ministering to people down in Antioch. It's comfortable. It's safe. There's a group of believers around you and God keeps adding to your number daily. People are excited. People love you. And then one day God says, hey, I got another assignment for you. Okay, God, I trust you more than I love my comfort. So I'll follow. And we move on. Not, not yet. We move on. And suddenly we are presented with opposition. Rather than people. There are some people who say I, I believe and I want Jesus Christ in my heart. But there are a bunch of other people who say I want nothing to do with you. So much so that you're met with such vehement opposition that people try to kill you. How would you respond in that situation when you were trying to share the gospel with a group of people and they turn on you and tear you apart and literally try to kill you? Would you get discouraged? Would you look at God and go, are you kidding me? You allow this to happen to me? I'm done. I'm going home. I'm going back to Antioch where they care about me. And yet Paul didn't do that. Paul got up dusted himself off, put some probably didn't have ice back then, but, but you know, put some mud over the, those wounds or, or bound up those things, maybe poured some wine to, to wash off the blood, bound them up, tried to sleep it off as best as possible, and early in the morning, he and Barnabas moved on to the next town, on to Derby. And there, once again, they shared the gospel. And there, once again, crowds of people gave their hearts to Jesus. Not all of them, But what I love about Paul and Barnabas is that they recognized that they were not their own and that God did not promise to keep them safe. God did not promise to keep them comfortable. They were willing to pour their lives out as an offering. And I really do feel like, you can throw that verse up there now from Hebrews chapter 12. I really feel like Paul and Barnabas embraced and and modeled the posture that is described in Hebrews chapter 12. Can we scoot back? There's one other part to that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We're talking about Jesus here. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And ultimately, through the persecution he endured, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. That, I feel like, is the heartbeat of who Paul was. I might get beaten. I might get stoned. I might be rejected by every single person I share the gospel with. But guess what? My God has called me to share the gospel, so I will not shrink from that. I will not give up even though people don't want to hear it. And so they move on and they share the gospel. And once they get to Derby, they share it there. And that was kind of the end of the road. That's what they had planned on doing. So then they turn around and they begin to go back through all of the towns that they visited. You can throw the map back up there. They go back through the towns that they visited. They go back through Lystra, where he'd been stoned. They go back through Iconium, where they had been They knew that people were going to try to stone them, so they escaped. They went back to Antioch, the other Antioch, up there in the top of Galatia, where there were people who pushed against them and tried to stir up trouble. And while they were there, they interacted with those who had given their hearts to Jesus. And notice what Paul says to them in verse 23. I'm sorry, in verse 22. They went back through all these places, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is what they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't a you have to endure hardship in order to be worthy of the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying, because Paul also said it's by grace you are saved, not by works. Okay, so this is not a you earn your salvation through doing this. But what he's saying to these people is, listen. We've been bought at the price. And we're not promised easy, carefree lives. Jesus himself said, listen, in this world you're going to have trouble, but you can take heart that I, through the cross, have overcome the world. So even persecution doesn't get the last word. So even suffering and sickness and bad backs and letters from the IRS... And children who have a mind of their own, heaven forbid, right? Because we're trying to... Never mind. These things don't get the last word. And yet, we're all going to have to endure hardship and persecution. Now, do you think that Paul's words would carry a little bit of weight given that the people he's speaking to have seen what Paul and Barnabas have been through? They've seen his broken body and blood pouring from his forehead where he got smacked by a stone thrown by like a 12-year-old? Do you think that they would respect the gravity of his words when they recognized that there were people who were trying to take his life? Oh, holy moly, I'm running out of time. I've got to hurry. Long story short is, Paul and Barnabas were trying to set the church up and they recognized, these early Christ followers recognized, the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be comfortable. I think of the at the end of one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, there's a kid is standing on the, the edge of a balcony and he's looking out and he sees Aslan walking along the beach and he looks over to this beaver who's one of the main characters. and He goes, you know, is he safe? And the beaver looks down at Aslan and goes safe. Heavens, no but he's good. Is it safe to follow Jesus? Not necessarily. It'll cost us our lives. Not not necessarily meaning that we're going to die physically, although that may be. But it will cost us control. It'll cost us at least the sense that we are the captains of our ship. It will cost us in some sense the desire to be accepted been approved by all people, because there are going to be people who will reject us because we're unapologetic about our faith. Now I have to say, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, anybody who would come after me must pick up their cross and follow me, be willing to die to themselves. And I can tell you that we can avoid that kind of persecution. We can avoid that kind of discomfort, but only if we choose to be disobedient. Think about Paul for a moment. He could have avoided the rejection of these people. He could have avoided being stoned. He could have avoided all of the things he endured. All he needed to do when God said... I want you to go and be my witness. You say, no, I'm good. I'm I'm comfortable here in Antioch. I like where I'm at. And God, who is God, could have used someone else. Or God could have had to do, you know, pull a Jonah on him and, and force him to go. But either way, God is God and God can get his will done. But Paul would have missed out on being able to be his witness. And Paul recognized that his life and his comfort in this moment are minuscule in comparison to eternity. And so Paul didn't hold on to anything, his safety, his stuff, his security, nothing. He said, God, I'm your man. Help yourself to my life. And I think the same invitation is given to each of us. That doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to try to scatter us like a dandelion to the wind but he might be calling you out of something comfortable. He might be calling you out of something that you have found solace in. In a moment, we're going to take offering. And I want you to understand that one of the reasons that we choose to take offering every week is not because we are necessarily dependent upon the money. This is God's church. He can provide for it. The primary reason that we focus on allowing people to give and encourage it is because at the end of the day, it is a declaration from us to God, but also often to ourselves that my money is not my security. My faith does not rest upon what I have in my bank. I trust you, God, more than I trust this. God might be calling some of you out of a career path that you've been on that's been comfortable to something else. He might be calling you to take a step of faith out of your comfort zone to go across the border down to Mexico. Or perhaps to take a step of faith and go across several borders down to Costa Rica. Or perhaps even more scary, to take a step outside of your comfort zone and go across the street to a neighbor you've been avoiding. and Just say Hi. Because when we go, we don't necessarily have to go to the ends of the earth. Sometimes we have to go right to our neighbors, into our own community, and say, God, here I am. Help yourself to my life. All right, I'm out of time. Paul and Barnabas ultimately find their way back to to Antioch where they began and they share what God had done. I'm sure they told them about the the persecution they endured, but more than anything, they share about the lives that God has redeemed from the pit. And the the believers rejoice. And the church continues to grow. And that's one of three of these trips that Paul will take. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at another one of them. But at the end of the day, God is not calling us to live easy, carefree, comfortable lives. And sometimes... We need to ask ourselves this question. Am I more concerned or am, are the choices I'm making in my life. Based upon what God is asking for me or based upon my comfort and my security. Are you making choices and it can even be spiritual choices where I go to church. What's well, what's most most comfortable. Where I live, well, what's most comfortable where we put our kids to school, well, what's most comfortable and safe for them? There's an exodus of Christ followers and families from our school system because we're trying to protect them. And in the process, we are, we are vacating places that desperately need us. And so we, we celebrate teachers like Teresa and others of you who are in these secular environments, and Carrie, who are in these secular environments, loving on these children. But sometimes we need to be willing to trust God enough and say, my kids need to stay here. I don't know. All right, I'm done. Hey, Egypt, will you come up here for a second? Last week, we went about 20 minutes over and the people across the street were going to try to crucify us, so we're not going to try to do that today. But in just a moment, we are going to um, take an offering, but I would love for you just to really briefly... Um, I'd let you talk into my, my mic on my face, but that would look awkward. that's a holy kiss right there i love you and i love i love that you're here would you just really like in two minutes share what god is doing how he is moving you and your family how he's provided in texas but what he's doing go two minutes let's see if egypt can do it
1: i just want to start with saying i love my family here um i needed to be here today so first of all thank you for that message um My heart is just heavy right now um, because that message is my life right now. I never wanted to let anyone down here. Um, I just found out a lot two years ago when you sent my family and I off to Texas, if you'll remember, I didn't go there with a job. There there was nothing to look forward to other than after 20 years here in Southern California, we were going to go there and we did. And uh, got connected with a lot of churches, a lot of very world-renowned pastors. I don't want to get into the names, and I just went asking the question, "What are you doing about young adults in their 20s?" And I always got the church answer, "Oh, we have a great ministry on this night. We do pizza on this night." And that was never the question I was asking. I was wondering about, what are you doing with this demographic of young people who are making reckless choices? Well, one thing led to another, I took a job. Went back in the corporate, making my tents, kind of got, excelled me up, kind of shared with my baba, Pastor Lee, some of the crazy things I was being faced with, matters of integrity. I'm not going to march a message up the hill to a customer or a client that is a bold-faced lie. So I had to make decisions, and because of that, the chasm began to build. So I'm no longer with that company. And the reality is, is there's another change. In about five weeks, literally, to the day, July 31st, my family and I are going to move again to Chicago, the murder capital of the world. And God has opened an opportunity that I really cannot publicly speak about right now, but particularly black young men, 15 to 26, are making some of the stupidest choices in the history of life. And my leadership in technology workshop from a biblical perspective has been recognized and asked to be a part of this cool municipal civic responsibility to reshaping the lives of young men particularly black young men in the inner city of chicago not to mention that my wife i guess to make it comfortable for you my wife's parents are in their advanced years and it is a good thing to be there to Help my wife to be happy. I remember as a senior in high school saying, I'm out of this, this town. I'm never coming back to this taco stand. I'm out. 31 years later, here I am going back there. But because of the relationship of the ministry work combined with a corporate front-facing end, I'm going to have to be coming back here very regularly, very regularly. So the partner group is here. I, I keep telling people I'm at peace but I'm uncomfortable. And that's the truth. That's my life. Uh, The other last piece is this, and I know I'm at two minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, The other piece is this, is that the work we've been doing for years in Nigeria, uh, I've just been asked by the federal government of Nigeria to come over with our brother, Jerry Swamsidi, and some of our group, and Glenn, you know these guys, Uh, The federal government has asked me to present my technology leadership component from a biblical worldview to be a part of what they call resolving the IDP problem, and that's internationally displaced people. That's another way of saying the mass refugees that are entering into the country as a result of ISIS, uh, slaughters that are taking place all throughout Africa and the Middle East. They just have refugees in the tens of thousands showing up every day. I think we have the same problem here in America. Um, But i got really kind of a cool solution. Uh, that the government has recognized as valuable, so I have to make a presentation to a couple of governors uh, and Senators within the state of and within multiple states in Nigeria in september so that 's kind of what we 're doing i don 't have a clue i 'm just hanging on i 'm um, doing the best I can, but you know it 's kind of like that rocky story you know it 's like Rocky, how come you love Adrian so much <laughs> Well, Rocky says, "Whoa because I got gaps, and she got gaps. But when we we's together, we ain't got no gaps. So <laughs> God is good. Thank you. God bless you.
0: <laughs> Stay up here. I love you. Yeah. Hey, Glenn, can you come up here as well? And Ann, um, we're going to take offering in just a second. So Pete, why don't you come up here? Lee, Lee's going to take the mic.
2: We're not going to take an offering in just a we're second. We're not. You have boxes in the back yeah, today. So yeah, yeah. put your offering in them when Better. we finish up. As you leave, yeah. just drop them in the boxes. That's cool. great. That's what I'll do with mine.
1: Pray over this guy right here.
2: All right. Father, thank you so much. What a wonderful thing it is to enjoy Egypt once again. it can be with us today, reminding us of your movement in our lives. And as he prepares himself for another move, I ask that you will put into place all the necessary ingredients to make it a wonderful one. Mm-hmm. Guide him as he tries to care for his family as is appropriate. Yes, Let's take care of his wife's mom, and, and work in that area, and then all the other ministry areas you've called into help him to speak clearly to guide those who are struggling, uh, to make people more and more aware of how you take care of all things. So we trust you now to provide everything he needs, and we'll be involved in it as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your love and grace. Let your blessing be on us this day, even as we close this time together. Yes. Thank you. Listen, I'm going to ask Glenn to pray for us to close up. Mm-hmm. Well, Lord, just thank you for this day. The, I mean, the message as well as just having Egypt here is a real blessing. I think it's something wow well, we all face <clears throat> that fear that um, can I hang on and what's this all about? But I just want to pray specifically for Egypt on this that um, he sticks and he is. He's right there with you, Lord, but just he hangs on and uh, he finds that goal. Just like Paul said, I'm running towards the final goal. And uh, there's so many incredible things happening in the world today. And I just pray that we as Christians are strong enough to stand up and stand there and really take a stand. And hold on to you, Lord, we lift our eyes to you in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Hey, um, my elders, if you would come just be available in the front, if you have if you've got a transition going on in your life and you would like somebody to pray with you or you're wrestling with the potential. They're going to be up here, all right? So, John, come on up and bring your wife, Byron. Um, and, and we're just praying for you. If you want to check out one of the missions trips, please go to the back table. If you've got a child across the street so that it goes well for me, would you please go get them? We love you. Have a great